I feel like it's been a long time since I've preached. Um, I'm tempted to get up here and sing, sing an old country western song to myself, you know, back in the saddle again or something, but I have missed preaching. And when I knew I was going to get a couple of weeks, a, a little break, you know, at first I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's a lot like when um, having a big family, every now and then in my life, everybody vacates the house. And, you know, maybe Jane will go see her sisters and the kids just scatter for the weekend. And I, and I mean, it doesn't happen often, but, you know, I get like three days alone and I'm going, oh, these three days, it's going to be the best three days of my life. You know, I'm going to catch up on my movies and sleep late and eat what I want. And after about four hours on the first day, I'm like, when are they coming home? When are they coming home? So I miss preaching. Um, thank you for that clap. My family appreciates it. Um, Okay, so today we're going to talk about something, and I have to give a little bit of a disclaimer. You see it up here. Um, I'm going to talk about something that just looking at the title, it, it might make you reach for a pew pencil and just start doodling. Um, and, and I say that because the word fellowship doesn't have a lot of emotional impact for people. You know, you, you hear the word fellowship, and we think about, you know, hanging out with people and playing cornhole, and, and you know, of course, it's believers, so it's Christian cornhole. You know, we, we think about chilling out with people, grilling out all kind of food. And, and so you, you hear, hey, we're going to have a sermon on fellowship. You think, you know, fellowship is fun. I like fellowship. But Steve, a 30-minute sermon on fellowship, you got to be kidding me. It, I mean, how in the world are you going to string this out? But before you start playing tic-tac-toe with the person next to you, I just want you to stop for a second with me, with this word hanging in front of us over the back of my head, and I want to, I want to make a couple of outrageous statements. We are going to look at something, spiritually speaking, today that could be an absolute game changer for us, okay? This, this whole thing of fellowship and the way we're going to look at it scripturally, it could be a radical paradigm shift for you today. You know, we want those breakthrough sermons. As I've been studying for this thing, I feel like I have been breaking through all kind of vines and uh, breaking through walls like the Incredible Hulk. Y'all, this has been a big deal for me, this study. I want you to know that fellowship, contrary to, to the way we often do this, fellowship is not an ingredient in the Christian life. Fellowship is actually the main course of the Christian life. Big difference between an ingredient and, and, and the main course. Fellowship is not a church add-on, okay? Add-on to regular programming. Folks, fellowship is meant to be the core, the essence of life and faith. Fellowship is meant to be the wellspring from which every single spiritual blessing that we ever receive from God uh, comes from. Those are some big statements, okay? In other words, if you remove fellowship from the Christian life, you've got nothing. And if you tamper down fellowship or push it to the side, folks, you, uh, things begin to die. What we do as a people, who we are, it really begins to flatten out. So what have I just been saying to you? I've been saying this. We have fellowship all wrong for the most part in the church. And so you're saying, well, Steve, if all of that is true, then how in the world did we go off-road? You know, how did we drive the car into the woods and just end up lost when it comes to fellowship? And I'm going to tell you why. 
It's because we begin at the wrong place in Scripture. When we want to start at the beginning and we say, hey, you know what, let's go to where this all started, we often start in the very wrong place in Scripture. Our problem is that we begin with the story of Adam and Eve, okay? So, so what we're doing here is we're beginning with our call to obey God and then our great rejection of God, right, our sin, and then following Jesus' pursuit of us, salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, before you throw anything at me, all of that is true. All of that is wonderful. The church can never lose sight of those three things. But folks, it's not the beginning of the story. Our story does not begin in Genesis 1:26 with Adam and Eve. It begins in verse 1. It begins with an eternal fellowship that exists long before you and I come into the scene. The Greek word for this, okay? The Greek word, baby, is koinonia. You know what koinonia is? Family, community, togetherness. So Scripture begins not with us, but Scripture begins with an incredible intimacy. It begins with a union. It begins with an incredibly tight bond of relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we get introduced to God, you can, it, it leaps off the page once you realize it. Here they have been for all of eternity thriving, thriving together, gloriously alive, perfect unity, perfect holiness, that there's a richness, there's just this incredible peace and love, the deepest bond existing between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we see the way creation plays out, these three are in the same rhythm together. They have the same purpose. And, and their greatest joy is honoring one another as they work together. And speaking of work, that's where we pick up the story, the work of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, verse 1, all the way through Genesis 2, what do we find? Well, we find the Father, God the Father, is at work. And how's He working? Well, He is just speaking every created thing into existence. Man, you talk about power. His Word alone, boom, things are created. We find the Holy Spirit right off the bat, right? God the Spirit is at work. We see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit is sustaining creation and maintaining creation. And then well, where's Jesus in Genesis 1? Well, we don't read about Him immediately. We don't get it. But, but a little while later in Scripture, in John 1, 3, we discover that Jesus Christ, God the Son, was there all along. He was intimately involved in, in our beginning. It says there, God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. And folks, that relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit honoring one another, interfacing together, working, we, we call this relationship the Trinity. This is the Trinity. God in the deepest relationship with Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, as we read that account of, uh, in John 1 where, where Jesus comes into the picture, when we read this, we, we find out a little bit of the quality of their relationship. We discover the richness and the intimacy of the fellowship of the Trinity. 
John writes this in 1 and 2. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we just read that Jesus was with God. But there's a little bit of a problem here, okay? The word with is, is kind of a weak choice by translators because you, you, you can, it can be misleading. You can read it and think, okay, well, you know, Jesus was with God in the very beginning. That means Jesus was close by. You know, Jesus was in proximity to the Father. But the big problem here in John is that the Greek word is pros. And pros can mean with, but pros can actually mean a whole lot more. And here in context, pros doesn't mean that Jesus was close by God. Pros means in the very beginning, Jesus was face to face with the Father, okay? Uh, Chris and I can be in a room. Like right now, Chris and I are, are right here together. Chris and I, though, are not face-to-face. So when you read that and you let that word pros hit you, what you realize is all of creation, it really what it did come about through this interfacing, intimate, this close relationship between Jesus, uh, the, the, the Son, the Father, the Spirit. It was just like that. Now, a couple of you are going, oh, my gosh, that radically changes all of this trinity, all of this relationship it, it radically changes my understanding now of Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 1-24. Because here's something, has anyone ever done this? Uh, you you want to go and talk to somebody about the Trinity. Or maybe your child has asked you a question about the Trinity, and you have to go and find it in Scripture. Anyone ever tried to find Trinity Scriptures uh, in, in the Bible? Sometimes they're a little hard to find, right? You know, you feel like you're piecing it together. Well, you know, here it's talked to. Folks, that just changed for us. Now in Genesis 1 through, through, uh, 1, 1 through 124, Trinity is everywhere, okay? When you read through that, and before you read, God saw, God said, God made, God created. How many times does that come up in, in the first 25 verses? 24 times, okay? Now suddenly, understanding this relationship, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three of them together saw said, created, and made. Trinity is everywhere. The fellowship of God is just exploding out of the very first chapter of the Bible. And now, by the way, in verse 26, now those little pronouns make sense. When God stops in verse 26 and he says, and now let us make man in our image, in our likeness. By the way, something else just happened to us. Now we understand why God made mankind. Have you ever heard that question? Why did God make mankind? Well, you know, he needed somebody to obey him. Well, God likes making things and bringing things to life. Well, God needed some human children. uh, Those are fun answers, but those were all wrong. Why did God create mankind? For more of the same. For fellowship. God made us for fellowship. From perfect relationship with himself, he made us for relationship with himself. Fellowship is sort of a really, really big deal. You know, that, that, that's one of the other things John was telling us two weeks ago. I read that very familiar passage, John 1, 1 through 5, and, and we looked at it from a certain angle. Now consider the very same passage through the lens of fellowship, okay? See if it fits. 
perhaps we were created for something more than just religion and to be good. John 1, 1 through 5, we proclaim to you, John says, the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have seen and we have heard. He is the word of life. The one who is life itself was revealed to us. He is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and was revealed to us. We proclaim what we have seen and what we have heard for a reason, for a reason, so that you may have fellowship with us. And just so we know, John's not talking about, you know, the inner circle of the disciples, which is really kicking right now. John says, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this to you so that you may fully share our joy, the joy of fellowship. So, folks, this whole Christian life that we are living, that we are, that we, we are after here, it is all about fellowship, all about relational love. It begins with an eternal, intimate fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then, as if that weren't great enough, and I submit to you that that's pretty great, but then God opens the door for you and I to experience this perfect love, this intimate relationship with God. And, you know, how does it all end, okay? Because we talked about how it began, right? We, we talked about right now this perfect fellowship. Well, how does it end for us when this life is over? What is heaven all about? Well, Shiloh said part of it last week, or a couple weeks ago, it's about worship forever, right? But it's also about fellowship with the Father forever, with no obstacles. Again, sort of a big deal, this thing. I'm kind of excited today about this. But see, here's the thing. We cannot understand this principle, and we can't embrace this principle if we start at the wrong place in Scripture. If we start with the call to obedience and then our disobedience and ending with, you know, God's wrath being assuaged by Jesus Christ and the cross and, and His resurrection, well, well it, it, it gets to be a little tough. It gets to be a little tough. Because, see, when you begin with an angry God, you know, we start off with, well, God's angry. When you begin there... Folks, fellowship is something that's tough. And I'm going to tell you, some of you have had really angry fathers in your life, really angry parents. Intimacy is very difficult in, in, in that case. Now, please understand me again, okay? Please understand what I'm saying. Everything that I describe, the call to obey, our disobedience, the victory of Jesus Christ, all of it is true. It's 100% true, but it is is not the beginning. The beginning is that out of God's fellowship, God made you and I for fellowship. And Jesus Christ alone makes that fellowship a reality. He restores it. He opens the door to God's heart, the, 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 the door to heaven. That is the beginning and the foundation of our faith. And when we get that, when we, you know, when we see that this is it, folks, we can take the divine journey that we were made to, to take. We really can. Consider this. Well, Steve, what is the divine journey you're talking about? Okay, here it is. We've all quoted this before. You've heard this in prayer meetings. You've heard this preached. You've heard this in song. 
We are all meant to travel as Christians from glory to glory, right? We are meant to travel from glory to glory if we don't begin with the glory of divine fellowship, how can we travel full circle back into the glory of divine fellowship through Jesus Christ? It's really pivotal that we get this, okay? Now, let me ask you a a provoking question. I hope I don't provoke you too much. Um, I haven't preached in a long time. I don't need to be making people angry, but consider this. (laughs) I love it when I get somebody. You just pull the funny button. They didn't even know it was coming. Okay, So consider this. In Scripture, in the Bible, how can God be this majestic, creative, sinner-pursuing God? How can He be that in the Old Testament? How can Jesus come along in the Gospels and just be this loving, accepting, rescuing God? How can that happen? And then how can the Holy Spirit be this life-giving, joy-giving, purpose-giving God in in, in Acts and the rest of of the New Testament? How can the Trinity be all of this for all of history, for all of mankind? Okay, out of this fellowship, God is all this for us. How can that be true? And the church of Jesus Christ today, for the most part, maybe it didn't apply to all of you, but the church today be so fearful, be so angry, be so ashamed, be so bored. How can that happen? Here's how it can happen. When we lose sight of fellowship, things go really wonky in the church. They do. Okay, that's an English word. My mother's English. That's where that word came from. Things go wonky when we lose sight of divine fellowship. Here's what happens when we lose this beautiful fellowship from beginning, okay? Christianity, it becomes a very heavy cross to bear. This faith, it it becomes a duty. You know, God suddenly to us is this divine, austere, distant, kind of prone to anger God, right? Jesus Christ comes along, and this isn't the worst analogy in the world, but you've all heard of the bridge? Well, well, in a lot of ways, that's all Jesus can be for us when we lose sight of fellowship. You know, He's come to fill the chasm. He's come to rescue us from sin. But you know what? When we don't understand the Father and the relationships, right, Jesus is also sort of here to save us from God, from the anger of God. The Holy Spirit comes And we love the Holy Spirit, but I'll tell you this, for a lot of people who have lost fellowship, the Holy Spirit is just really here, you know, kind of to make you feel guilty about yourself, kind of to help you to to, to realize who you are not. And then for us, what we spend our Christian lives doing is we live our lives striving to please God, striving to keep His favor instead of being in relationship with Him. That is life without fellowship. It's hard. It's heavy. It's harsh. But all when fellowship is front and center, folks, it's full, and life becomes free. And once we get fellowship, once we embrace fellowship, it revolutionizes everything that we do. It revolutionizes everything that church is. Suddenly, you aren't a group of people that, you know, I fill space with and, you know, I've got some relationship to. Suddenly, you really are my family. We are in this defined relationship. You guys are my people. 
I can't do this without you. Life without the body of Christ becomes miserable. That's what fellowship does. It just, it makes church sweet. It turns what we're doing into a journey with God and a journey to God together. It also motivates everything else we do. Worship, man, worship is no longer a performance, man. Worship is just, it's echoing back. It's singing out of this relationship. It's out of this love. I mean, man, worship comes to life in my behavior goes from, oh, you know, well, I better do this, or it's, I want to live to please God. Man, I'm close to Papa. I love being a chip off the old block. I, I know how it feels when I wake up. I know how it is when He speaks to me. I, I love how it is when He loves me. It, it motivates who I am and how I live my life, what I say, what I do. Everything that we are and everything that, that you know, we will ever be and do is to flow out of our face-to-face fellowship with God. That is how big a deal this fellowship thing is. It changes everything for you and I. And see, when we we step into it, even that other stuff that we really struggle with, when we step into the eternal fellowship and relationship of God, suddenly some deep things begin to happen to us as well. You know, I mentioned the striving, the striving and the guilt and the shame, they just begin to melt away. That great big lie that we live with, that, you know what, I've got to somehow measure up to God. I know that God is disillusioned with me. Folks, it just dissolves. Because when you get close to the heart of God, and the cross just says, so well, when we get into this together, into the heart of God, into fellowship, you, you, you realize very quickly, God can't be disillusioned with me. There's no way God could ever be disillusioned with me. Why? Well, because Steve Keller's amazing. No, not at all. Okay, God cannot be disillusioned with me because God never had any illusions about me to begin with. He didn't. It's so true. Y- y'all, take that, make that your own. You can quote that to people. You don't even have to quote me. It's a great book. But why, do, why, why is God not disillusioned with me? Because he dealt with everything that was a problem on the cross. Jesus Christ died and bled for what I've done and, and who I'm not, and he's opened the door to fellowship for every one of us who believes. And listen, this is a Jesus-only thing. None of this happens without Jesus Christ, the Son of God, believed upon, uh, 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 confessed and accepted as Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But this is true. God offers us koinonia, this relationship himself, oneness with him, oneness with one another. And, and just in case you've been slow to convince today, sometimes I am, and you say, you know, I think you're stretching a little bit. Consider the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 verses 20 through 23. Listen to what Jesus prays for us. Now, the the high priestly prayer, this is a high prayer, okay? This This is a big, big deal prayer right at the end of his life. Jesus says, Father, my prayer is for all who will believe in me. Just look around the room. This is all of us. My prayer is for them, that all of them may be one. Father, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be brought into complete unity. 
And then the world will know. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Look at what Jesus just did here. He starts off pointing to the divine fellowship that he has with the Father. I'm in you. You're in me. So he starts there. And he prays unmistakably that you and I will be drawn right into it. And I know sometimes we get obsessed with the work that we have to do for God, but folks, it sounds like kind of a natural cause and effect here that as a unified church being found in him, drawn in together, it it sounds like we pretty much end up doing what God did in the very beginning, living and loving as one, we reach out. We speak to those who are lost. I like Jesus' analogy of a fisherman. We, we, just get, we just get fitted out naturally with waders and reels, and we just reel the lost in like fish. That it's out of fellowship that all of this happens. A, uh, a new friend of mine um, recently described our part, okay, the work that we do. So simply and so profoundly, um, this new best friend of mine I met him in Ghana uh, the first time I went, but we went back last time. And so I was hanging out with my new buddy named Barnabas. Um, Barnabas's name means a son of encouragement. Uh, I think this guy's almost, almost the father of encouragement. I have never met anybody who's as encouraging as Barnabas. So anyway, I asked Barnabas at, toward the end of the trip, I said, Barnabas, tell me this. You know, we're over here checking you guys out, checking out Ghana, looking at what you do. But I I know what we're kind of thinking, but I don't know what you're thinking. What are you hoping for with this, you know, KPC stepping in here with, with you guys? And Barnabas said to me, he said, Steve, it is simple what I'm hoping for. We start with this. We in Ghana who are Christians, we cannot do this great work alone. Now, we, we have a good start. We've begun to reach the world for Jesus Christ. We've got churches popping up all over the place. But look, we cannot reach Ghana for Jesus Christ alone. But we weren't meant to. In the beginning, God says, let us. He said, Steve, I simply believe that Call of Hope in Ghana, the Ghanaian Christians, and you KPC American Christians, I believe that we are the us. I just believe it by the Spirit. As God said, let us make man, I believe God is saying to us, let us reach Ghana. Let us, Steve. And y'all, when Barnabas said that, it was like somebody was standing in front of me with a fire hose and just opened it full. I got hit with all of these scriptures. Have you ever had that happen? Somebody says something that just triggers like an avalanche or a waterfall of scripture. All these scriptures just start washing over me in this moment. And it's all these times that God's people in scripture got the heart of fellowship and they stepped out in that heart of fellowship and they said, let us. So I'm going to give you a few of them, okay? Let these minister deeply to your soul. Psalm 34.3, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm 95.6, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God and maker. Hosea 6, 1 and 3. Come, let us return to the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Isaiah 2, 5. Let us walk in the light of the Lord as one. Jeremiah 51, 10. Let us tell in Zion 
what the Lord our God has done. Romans 13, 12, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Galatians 5, 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 6, 9 and 10, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us do good to all people. Hebrews 4.14, let us hold firmly to this faith we profess. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Here's a favorite, Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Yes, 1 John 3, 18, all you lovers in the room, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but let us love with actions and in truth. 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And then the cherry on top, the very end of all things, Revelation 19, 7, let us rejoice And let us be glad and let us give him glory. Why? For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And the bride, the bride has made herself ready. There's no solo acts in any of that, folks. The Christian life was never meant to be a solo act, it was never meant to be you, Barry Logston trying to work up and work out your salvation somehow. It is not meant to be an impossible standard that only a few, the folks in the balcony, you know, because they're above us today, only they, only they can lift it up. You guys are amazing. I'm in awe of you. Um, Listen to this. The, The Christian life reaching the world was also not meant to be an impossible task that only one or two with that gift of evangelism could accomplish. Everything that we are is meant to be a divine fellowship where we come to life and we live, and there's a whole lot of life coming out of this beautiful thing called Trinity, divine fellowship that we share vertically, and man, do we share it horizontally. It's all meant to be that way. Shiloh said something. I don't know if she's here. I hope she is because she's doing a closing song in just a minute here. Shiloh, we're getting close to that. Um, Shiloh said something about worship recently that was so great. She said, you know, folks, when it comes to worship, we were made to do this. Well, I'm sorry to steal this from her, but I'm going to have to. Folks, the same thing is true about fellowship. We were made for oneness with God. We were made for intimate fellowship and relationship. And I'll tell you this, if you're like me, when I was in high school, I went crazy, okay, Um, I mean, like, wild Jonah crazy. The whole time I went away, I had a whole lot of fun, you know, had a whole lot of thrills. But I'll tell you this, there was the most gut-wrenching emptiness and just just death in my life. I I couldn't fake it religiously. You know what was missing that whole time? It was just that sweet oneness with God. You can have the whole world and be out of relationship with God, and it's just miserable. For some of us in the room, some of us connected to others of us in the room. I tell you, it, it, it's an ache. 
It's an ache that only Christ can answer. But once he does, and we step into it, folks, this thing gets good, really good. All right? We are going to, uh, to end with a song today. I'm looking for my, my hey, there they go. Okay, we're going to end with a song today. And uh, it's a song that, that is new to some of you. Uh, the song, fittingly, is called Intimacy, okay? I want you to really hear this, okay? This is a song that reminds us of what we were made for. It reminds us of what God desires for us. And what God desires for us is, is simply that we would get into much deeper waters with him, that we would wade much deeper than we are right now. So I want to challenge you just to do a couple of things, and, and I'll say one, one more thing, guys, before, uh, before you start. Um, one thing I, I want to say here is this is a great time to just listen and open up the door of your heart, um, to allow God to settle the battlefield of your mind. Um, let God speak over you who you are and just realize that he's drawing you in with cords of love. During this song, there are going to be some people up front to pray with you. We would love to pray with you because, you know, you start talking about intimacy and fellowship. It's going to stir some stuff up. But for the rest of us, during this song, I want you to hear it. I want to invite you to open the door of your heart and just say, Lord, here it is. Here's the other thing I have to say. For some of us, fellowship, it, 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 it sounds so simple, but it's so hard. For some of us, we have some bitter waters in our lives. You talk about intimacy with God, but there's some stuff that's really broken inside. There's some scars. There's some wounds that may have happened 30 years ago, but they're still really fresh today. The Lord might bring up in your mind as we go through this, he might bring up the faces of some people you've tried to forget. Um, maybe some faces of the people that you rode to church with today and it wasn't a very good ride today. But the Lord is all about just cleaning and straightening that kind of stuff up. So don't be surprised if some of that comes up, okay? Um, there, there may be some bitter waters. I think for some of us, too, there's something else. Now, I believe this by the Spirit. All week long, the Lord has been reminding me that there are a lot of us in the room that just have some church hurt. Folks, there is no kind of hurt like church hurt. You may have been, a, been in a church in the past where, oh, man, the leadership just made some moves. Maybe they did some things in secret. Maybe a pastor lashed out at you. Um, I'll just say for, for that part of it, people are human, you know, pastors are human. But some, some of you have some church hurt. And I just feel like there's a real grace by the Spirit today for the Lord to really heal that up, to turn those bitter waters into sweet waters today. So allow the Lord just, ju just in this time, if he puts his finger on it, it's about healing. It's not about hurt. If the Lord reminds you of it and, and you're just, oh, I don't even want to go there. When the Lord brings it up in a moment like this, it's so it can be lifted. It's so it can be healed. It's so that you can be made whole. And I'll pray over that in a minute. So folks who are going to pray with, with people, if y'all would come up. And if you guys will lead us through this, one of my favorite songs in the whole world, and then I'll, I'll pray for us when you're done. These hands you made to hold yours, my love. These feet you shaped to walk with you in our garden. These These lips you 
We, we acknowledge the obvious today that we, we bring nothing to the table. No matter what we have, um, it falls so short. And even what we do have is a gift from you. Lord, you have given us everything from rational thought to speech to our talents to these hearts that beat inside of our chest and these emotions. And God, the history of mankind is that by ourselves we fail and we fall. We, we are, in many respects, just a disaster. 
And yet it was never about us to begin with. It didn't begin with us. Our life was a gift from you. And our pursuit, Lord, us being pursued, Lord, that was you chasing us down the whole time. And God, you love us. And you made us for more than just to hit a moral benchmark. You hit us for for more than 10 commandments. Father, you, you made us to be in step with you. To yes, obey your word, but out of a place of delight. To worship you with everything that we are. And yet we, we, we find ourselves like our forefathers in the Bible saying, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't send us out. So all of this about fellowship today is just another way of saying, God, we must have your presence. Lord, we cry out for your presence. And yes, I am saying, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in your fullness. Oh, you are the Pentecost gift that just keeps on giving. And so we, we ask, Lord, today that you would refill us with your joy. That, God, you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and that we'd be just like Peter, that we would just keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep on just stepping into your heart and higher up in worship. And, Lord, e- even when we come with dirty hands and dirty feet, I love that word today, that in your presence we realize that cleansing is just taking a basin and washing those feet feet all over again. So God, we ask for your presence and we thank you that you make bitter water sweet, that you make rotten fruit come to life. Lord, that, that you breathe on these bones and that's all they are, bones. But you breathe on them and they come to life and sinew comes over them and we rise up as an army. But like no other army on, on earth, like a heavenly army, to dance and sing and love and proclaim and rejoice and just conquer together with you. Lord, your church is so beautiful. And I thank you today that KPC, Lord, we are your bride. And your promise is that the bride will be ready. So Lord, through divine fellowship today with you, through relationship, deeper relationship with one another, Lord, as you heal some broken places, whether it's church hurt or or relationships with family members, or just disappointment after disappointment. As you come close and you heal that, we rejoice in in, in what we have. We have a bond that cannot be broken. We have a heart that's just pumping life to the rest of our body. So we invite the love of God and the presence of God, the fellowship of God. And I thank you that when that happens, man, we just fall in love with each other all over again. Thank you, Father for being so much more than we could ever think or ask or imagine in Jesus' name. Amen. I almost preached another sermon in my prayer, Neil. Um, I think you guys had one more thing um, that didn't make my radar. Did y'all have something y'all wanted to end with? Okay. We have one thing. And will you guys just dismiss? Okay. Thanks. Right. This is, uh, forgive us, Steve, for this moment of uh, pastoral hijack, but uh, we reserve the right to do that. A uh, great part of fellowship is the expression of thanks and gratitude. How many of you are thankful for Pastor Steve and Jane and his family? Good. I see that hand up there. I see that hand. 
All right, so, um, I, I, yes, everyone get on your feet for Steve. Steve, come on. Come here, buddy. And Jane, is Jane here and the kids? Jane, yeah, come on up. And, and if the Keller family is here, any of your kids, Maddie, come on out, girl. Harrison, even the grown-up kids. All right. All right, in honor of, uh, you know, October is Pastor's Appreciation Month, and so uh, they, they would... Ex- uh, Appreciate if you, you know, appreciate them beyond the month of October. But uh, unbeknownst to the Kellers, uh, we've been sending an email to a large part of the church over the last few weeks. We're going to do this a few weeks ago when the hurricane hit. But uh, a lot of you have sent cards and notes of gratitude and expression. And so those cards are in a basket out there in the lobby. And if you have brought some of those, um, you can go and drop them in. And if you forgot, we have uh, a table right next to it where you can pick up a pen and you can just write your heart, just uh, a thank, a thankful message to Steve, to Jane, to the kids, just to encourage them. Because what Steve goes through, it is a lot. It is hard work to be a senior pastor. It's hard work, Steve. And we are so appreciative of what you've done for your leadership, for your love, for your oversight of this flock. It is real honor. And so I'm talking too much, but uh, those are there. Uh, Chris or Neil, you want to say anything here real quickly? I, I don't have much to say, but I think one of us should pray for the Keller family. And um, so, Neil, why don't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Lord, uh, the greatest thing uh, that you can do for us is to call us to your service and Lord you have called the Keller family to serve you in a remarkable way in a remarkable time and uh, Lord I just pray that you would pour out your love upon them through your people in this church that they might know your love that they might know the peace and assurance of their call here and how blessed we are to have them here and to serve you and to serve them. Lord, lift them up. Lift up their spirits. Encourage them, Lord. And pour out your blessings upon them. Pour out your love upon them and our love for them. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.